and welcome to Gamers Table. My name is Eric. Hi, I'm Joy. Hi, I'm Gage. My name's Chad. This is Shannon. This is Dan. And I'm Brandon. Eric, what are we talking about? Well, this episode, we're going to talk about non-linear storytelling in RPGs. Mm -hmm. But before we do that, this episode is sponsored by Gaming with Gage. What? What? (laughs) He didn't even know. Didn't even know. Surprise. 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 Um, surprise. Yes, thank you, sir, for sponsoring uh, this episode. You're welcome. I like that he had picked out a topic, and we aren't <laughs> doing his topic for the episode <laughs> that he, he sponsored. sponsored. Exactly right. That's that's the way we roll. And that's if you dispute the charge, this episode doesn't drop. <laughs> <laughs> so this is now my, my second time on the show, and this is the second time Eric has done this to me. And both times, it's like, first topic, all right. I've got this story. I've got that story. This little learning experience I had. And then he comes with a new topic. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to talk about when it comes to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, cool. This is my episode. I was wondering when it was coming. Yeah. Uh, And we've got Joy with us. Joy, uh, Gaming with Gage is sponsoring this episode. But go ahead and plug uh, what you're up to also. Okay. um, On Fridays at... 7 Eastern. You can find me on Soul Bear RPG Twitch. We are streaming uh, D&D 5e. Uh, I also am on a podcast called What That Dungeon Do. I play Autumn. And I live tweet all of my other games on my Twitter at DireFox. I really like that name. What What That Dungeon Do. I really like that. Yeah. It's it's a very hip-hop name. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, What That Dungeon Do. And of course, we've got uh, Chad and Dan here from uh, Fear the Boot. So thank you guys for joining us on this one. Yeah, Um, And uh, to give you a little perspective, Gage, when you're on Fear the Boot, you don't get any prep time. It's, <laughs> it's uh, let's let's go to dinner, and this is what we're going to talk about. Okay, mic's on. Let's talk. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's the problem. Moving away from being like the only person on my show, which is so I just get to make all my own decisions, and now I'm playing on a team, and I'm reminded why I hated. No, team it's sports. it's really not that. <laughs> it's really not that difference. Except now I make all your own decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about non-linear games, and the reason, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it, uh, especially with the uh, with the current company, is I want Chad to talk about. I want you to talk about your D and D game, mm. the the one yep. where you jumped around in time and you, it wasn't a linear story, right? And it was so fascinating. I want I want people to kind of hear about this because I think it, I know you guys talked mm-hmm. about it on your show, but uh, just kind of talk about uh, the the decision making process and then how do you do something like that? Um, and I know that. Uh, most of the people uh, here also play video games or at least have played video games that are nonlinear. I want to talk about that, too, because I'm mm-hmm. I'm admittedly a dunce when it comes to uh, <laughs> video games. But I know that it's a common thing in mm-hmm. video games, too. So oh, yeah. can you run a nonlinear RPG game? Yes, absolutely. I've done it. <laughs> and I was told it was successful. And that's so that's good enough for me, I guess. So did you did you have the end game kind of in mind when you started it, though, right? In a Yeah, in a vague way. So how I game master in general of uh, any game is I have kind of a beginning idea of what I want to do. And then I have an end goal that that I want to reach. Now, the the space between those could be a very huge gulf. And to me, it's like that's that's the player's job and my job and everybody's job to to kind of fill that gulf. And it's it's my job to kind of not line the players up so that they hit my end mark, but to move the end mark to be in the trajectory of the players, to to be there when they want it to be there and, and to end correctly like that. 
And so in this D&D game, that, that's effectively what I did. It is a game where you had this previous generation. You had these, these characters that came to an evil land, and they were very high, quote, high-level adventurers. They're very seasoned, many moons under their belt sort of D&D you know, heroes. And they kicked out this great undead evil, and they freed all these people, and they were so high-level, they were like, okay, well... This is it. This was the big climax of our story. We're going to retire now. We're going to retire. And from there, they settled down. They rebuilt the land. And then they had kids. My game picked up with their kids. Now, this wasn't like an extension of a game. This wasn't somewhere else. I actually, in our in our uh, sort of session zero, I had the players come together, kind of like pitched a little bit of what I was kind of thinking about. And then I had them not make their characters first. I said, okay, you're not making your characters. I want you to make your parents. And then I want you to link your parents together. How, who are your parents? How are they all linked together? Why do they all know each other? Why do they kind of rule this, this land? And then after that, then we made their characters, the parents' children. And then that's who they were playing. And the, and the game was kind of like, you know, the, the sins of the father sort of thing. And it was like unresolved stuff. It was some treacheries and such between the parents that was kind of coming to haunt them, that the kids, secrets that the kids didn't know about. And they were playing it. They were playing like 20 year olds and about them kind of dealing with that and their parents not being honest with their friends, their other parents or with their kids. And so. What I did is I had this end in mind, right? So, so that was the, my beginning. My end in mind was this big sort of fight, this, in, this encounter, so to speak, took place in a throne room. One of the NPCs that they made, because I had them make the king of the land, and they put a lot into this king. They really liked him. The king died. And there was this kind of monster there. And there was this sort of situation going on. And I had in my mind each of the characters doing something. But very not D&D, right? Because D&D, there's the monster. Everybody lines up. The tank's in front. The DPS is there on the side. And then you have the casters in back and the healer stuff. But it wasn't like that. I, it, it's like I had in my mind, it's, it's, I wanted one of the characters to be standing there challenging this monster. And then I wanted another character outside, locked out of the room rallying soldiers with this statue that they pulled down, battering the door in. I wanted the throne room to be on fire. I wanted one of the characters to be hiding behind the throne face to face with this king who had just gotten killed and like splattered blood on the guy's face. And he was there for his last words. I I wanted them all, all these different pieces here. And, and, and the thing is, I don't know why like when i conceived this before we even started the game i didn't know who the bad guy was i didn't know why all the characters were in these places i didn't know why they would care or what they would say i didn't know any of that so i had that going on in my mind none of the players knew it so we go to session one and we start playing and i open it up with a flash back where I wanted the characters to come together more so than, than the, the lines that they had made with each other on paper. And these were kids, 20-year-olds. You know, I'm 42, so to me, they're kids. I flashed 
back without telling them I'm doing a flashback. Like I open the game with their 10 in the castle running around doing shenanigans, right? <laughs> and they don't really have their powers, their class powers or anything like that. They're kids. And it was like stealing pies or playing some prank or something like that. And the king was this gnome and he was kind of like egging them on and that sort of thing. And for me, it was this exercise to kind of just break the ice a bit. But it was such a powerful tool because it really gelled them together. And I could salt that with little forewarnings of what was going to happen, what I had in mind. Then, as soon as they stole the pies and did the shenanigans, one of the characters, not one of their players, but one of the NPCs, said something. Then I did a flash forward to this end game that I had in mind, this this flaming throne room where this NPC that they had made, the king that they had made and they loved and they were so attached to, dies right in front of us, murdered right in front of them. And I would focus on one of the characters and it would be like, okay, this is a situation where you do. And they're like, I don't understand. Is this the game? Is this a, and I just, no information. This is what's going on. The king's blood is on your face. What do you do? And so they would, they would do different things, but I wouldn't stay there long. And then I would have one of the NPCs that is in that in-game situation say something like a line that related to what they said when they were 10, then I would move the scene to the present day where that or a similar NPC would say the line that, that was said in the moment, in the, in the crisis moment. And it was like this dramatic, oh crap thing, but it was in a totally different context. Like, can you help me? And then we flash to the thing. Hey, can you help me? And then we would go forward. And they were always asking me, like, is this a dream? Are we experiencing <laughs> this? Do our characters know this, know what's going on? Right. I wouldn't tell them, not because I was playing coy, but because I did not know. I, I had no plan. I had no idea what, what to do with that. And as the game went on, every several, I wouldn't do it every session, but every several sessions, I would pick another player and I would flash back to when we, they were kids spotlight that character, flash forward to the end game, highlight what that character was doing, run the quote through, go back to present day, out of context quote. And then as the game went on and on, I would salt little clues through the whole thing. And it wasn't about until nearly about 75% of the way through the game that one of the characters was a magic user and went for the divination school. And I was like, I was reading fifth edition stuff and like, oh, <gasps> They have dreams about the future. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so the final flashback, flash forward thing that I did, the final one was his. And it flashed back and forth. And then instead of ending with a quote and something like that, it was, and he wakes up as the pieces of the dream fade from his mind and a barely remembered thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's when he knew his character was experiencing this and having these visions of what's going to happen, but he hadn't, he can't remember them because it's this dream that you can barely, so ephemeral is fading and going away. Right. And, but because he now knew that on a meta level and on an in-character level, and it was so close to the end of the game, I was able to put such context between what they were doing that he was able to say, 
okay, I know what we have to do. He's like, we have to have our tank, this half-orc paladin of Torm, right? I mean, uber violence for justice is challenging the monster. And he's like, that makes sense. I need her to be there. This other woman, she's a sorceress. She's my best friend. She's fiery and emotional. They're going to lock the doors. I need to make sure that she's outside so she can rally the troops to bash the door down to get in. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and there were a couple other characters, and he was like, I need to be by the throne when the king dies. I can't save him. I'm not going to let him die alone. And it was really neat. It was really emotional. And because all that context had pulled together, at that point, I didn't, even though we had jumped around time, because the danger with jumping around in nonlinear time is to make sure that the players are where you need them to be so that it's consistent and makes sense. Because I pulled him into that context and made it very real for him, he made sure the plan was followed. In character. I didn't ask him to. I didn't make any of the characters go anywhere they didn't want to go. But because the logic of the story and how he knew that this was going to happen, he ensured every single one of the other characters was on their mark, in their place, doing what they were supposed to be doing. And it was neat. It was really neat. That's pretty cool. The most compelling part of that for me is the fact that you really didn't have all of that planned. None. And to have the players buy in like that, you got to have a special group to be able to do that to begin with. And they have to trust you Mm -hmm. to be able to say, you know, I'm not going to screw you guys over. And if you do deviate from the plan, because I've played with with people who would be like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to throw a monkey wrench in everything you're trying to do. Challenge accepted. Now I know what's going to happen so I can stop it. Right. (laughs) Shannon. (laughs) <laughs> that is such a shame <laughs> whatever I'm, I'm the biggest I, I'm Shannon be true to yourself you know that's you <laughs> no I'm all about uh, jumping in that plot vacuum well and the the neat, the, <laughs> the neat thing about it is the, the campaign like took two maybe three years I mean it, it was it was a pretty long it was one of the longer ones I've ever ran yeah and what really helped was for one I have a all-star group. I mean, these these guys are great. They're really wonderful. They really get in character. When they made their characters, how I did it where they made the king first. Like the sheep, we rolled dice and they're like getting bouncing all these ideas off of each other of who this king is. And they made it really funny and silly. And But that also gave them a lot of heart. Yeah. And then I was able to take that king and he was part because he was this gnome pretending to be a human with illusions and stuff. He was part of the shenanigans when they were very young. And he was kind of like, yeah, go do this, go do this. But he always had like an ulterior motive. But he was also like the loving uncle, right? And so they really got to love him and he loved them. And because they made the major players in the game, I made the one or two big bad guys. But all their their bad guys and stuff were based on their parents and what they told me their parents did and how their parents lied and how their parents achieved this thing that they achieved through nefarious means and how their parents were really good and how their parents really loved them. And even their parents who were evil still loved their children. And it caused them to care. So I think that if the game was like maybe six sessions, let's say. This is really short. We just kind of threw together some D&D characters. 
There's no way I could have done it because it would have been like that. It would have been like, oh, so that, you're telling me that's how it's going to happen? Challenge accepted. Right. And I'm going right. to screw you. But when we finally, when the train finally pulled into the station at the end of the journey, everyone wanted the story to work because they were so invested in the story and they had made much of so much of it. They had made the foundation and the base. And when you are part of that collaborative effort and that collaborative storytelling, suddenly even your most troublesome players don't want to destroy the thing that they helped build. You know, it's a relatively recent concern in terms of the scope of human history. And I don't mean it's recent terms like past 10 years. I'm talking like past few centuries. Because if you look back at a lot of ancient literature, it was not uncommon at all that the literature had a point it was trying to make and that a strict following of chronology was not their first and most important concern. That A led to B, led to C, led to D, led to E, and we get down all the dates and everything else, and we lay it out exactly in the order it happened. Once again, the scope of human history is a relatively modern thing. It was fairly common in ancient literature to tell stories along the lines of a theme. So if you wanted to explain somebody in terms of their religiosity, you would tell one set of tales that might sequentially be... A, C, and E. And if you wanted to tell their story in terms of their success as a military leader, then you might continue telling the story, but you might pick up points B, D, and F. And so you would tell the story a bit out of sequence because of the fact that you were trying to explain themes, not a strict chronology. There are two video games, because Eric, you asked about video game examples. And there are two video games that come to mind pretty immediately as examples of this. One is a somewhat lesser known game, which is Beyond Two Souls, oh, yeah. which is a I, I loved it. Some people hated it, but I loved it. It's a game about a girl who has a spirit that is within her, that is like a second soul that can affect the environment and can do its own things. And there is a newer release of the game where it restructures the game in chronological order. So it starts with her, you know, birth to childhood, to adolescence, to young adulthood, whatever, on into the end of the story. But as the game was originally released, that's not how it was told. It was told where you went through a certain understanding of what she struggled with socially in terms of how does she fit in despite being a weirdo? And how does she try and then fail to have a normal life? And then you get a second story about how she ends up working for the military. Well, now, some of that goes back to she ended up with the military because she failed to have a normal life. But these two stories chronologically overlap because she's still struggling with one while she's starting to fall into the other. And so you get a singular story, but it's not told in sequence. Perhaps a better known example is one that I, I won't spoil partially because it's so new, but also because I myself am still playing it, is Red Dead Redemption. Mm. Red Dead Redemption 1 takes place in the very late 1800s, early 1900s, focusing on a guy by the name of John Marsden who is trying to redeem himself by tracking down an outlaw gang he used to run with and turning them over to the law. 
And Red Dead Redemption 2 actually takes place beforehand Mm -hmm. when he is still with that gang and that gang is still functional and and whatever. And it was interesting watching some of the videos that were trying to guess how Red Dead Redemption 2 would go based on comments that Marston had made during Red Dead Redemption 1. He said things, for example, like, I got shot and they left me for dead. He talks about the guy that ran the gang, Dutch Vanderland, as being an idealist who slowly lost his mind. And they talk about all these things that now when you go back and play Red Dead Redemption 2, you see one of a couple things. And herein lies, I think, an important second point, which is, in some cases, you have to fulfill what was predicted by the later story. In other cases, you are getting a person's take on a later story. And that take may be biased. It may be partially informed. It may be outright misinformed. It may be something that is simply an easier truth for them to remember. Uh, That's something that, once again, I realize this is a less played game, but that came up a lot in Beyond Two Souls was... The main character's name, I don't remember, she had a particular recollection of the past. And sometimes it was accurate, and sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes, to be blunt, she was kind of the bad guy. You know, or maybe people antagonized her, but her reaction, because she was so poorly socialized, was so disproportionate to what was going on and did not figure into how she remembered the events later, that she remembered everybody else as the monster, not herself. And the truth was much more complicated. And I think one of the things that's key to that is if you look at a video game or a movie like Memento, which is told backward, one of the things that those have the advantage of is there is a single bottleneck of continuity for the story. There is somebody who ultimately rubber stamps that we predicted this, and this is how we're going to explain it. In a role-playing game, there has to be that collaboration of, okay, we've predicted this, and maybe it doesn't have to be wrote literally true, but it has to at least be kind of true. There has to be some reason why you would remember it that way or describe it that way or interpret it that way. It it takes a lot of buy-in and active participation from the players to say that, you know, it's not going to be my goal to screw the game master. And vice versa, it's not the game master's focus to screw the players. That they understand that they're a collaborative team telling one story because you don't have a gatekeeper of truth the way you do in a single-sourced story. Yeah, you can't use an unreliable narrator when there's no narrator. (laughs) Right. You completely lose that tool from your arsenal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or certainly if one of the players insists that their character is a perfectly reliable narrator. (laughs) Well, and and the unreliable narrator is a very difficult and somewhat treacherous thing for a game master to use. It's it's usable, but the players can only experience the world through the game master in normal games that have game masters but if the game master is focusing too much on an unreliable narrator then the players don't know what's real and what's not and not in a fun twisty turny way they can't participate (laughs) yeah yeah they just just start to distrust if if everything is completely up for grabs i i think it's very hard to tell that story because i as a player 
I don't know how to help you anymore. Right. I mean, I, I'm just kind of along for this weird drug trip. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't know how to help you. I mean, you know, to pull a family guy one, maybe cutting my ear off really does avert World War II. I mean, I, we kind of did an unreliable narrator with the dragon variation. Oh, yeah. Um, I was yeah. thinking that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because, well, we had – I did two narrators. Yeah. I did. A, I tried to do a. Well, I didn't mean the podcast narration. I mean, as a game master, you were oh. feeding everybody. Oh, different, informa- yeah. different yeah. information. You were lying to us. Fucking liar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that and the funny part about that is, uh, as the story goes, I would pull people into play uh, a couple at a time, and the others would go into the other room and play video games and talk about how they thought I was losing my mind because I was <laughs> I wasn't Telling consistent with stuff. with the story. I, I actually remember. Um, I rem- I think it's Jason that was talking about how when you brought him in after you talked to Brandy about something, and then. Uh, he sat down and Brandy said something about him hitting her. And he oh, was yeah. like, what the fuck? Dude, what? Because <laughs> like, right. that was never his intention to ever have that happen. And, right. and then it was canon. He will, <laughs> he will still, to this day, if you bring it up around yeah. him, he will say, and I never hit her. Yeah, I never hit her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He says it all the time. Well, and like, uh, they both had different reasons for their breakup. And yeah. we had different views of like what had happened on our mission that went wrong. Yeah. And like stuff like that. Well, yeah, because even in the narration, yeah, it was two people. Right. You had Apex's um, analysis of people and places and things and how he viewed them. Right. And then you had, I guess, were you doing it as Tommy? Or was no, it, it was, just, it was, it was, well, sort of. It was supposed to be more of a, a neutral, like an na- outside, just a neutral narrator. Yeah. Where, where then the counterpoint was always, Apex's character was giving like the no, that's not how it happened. This yeah. is what happened. This is what happened. I was there. I know. Right. You're full <laughs> of shit. You're trying to tell this as a historical document, and it's not. Yeah. These were real people, and they were all flawed. Yeah. And this is how I liked that though, because even like in when you listen to it, there's even moments where it's like no, no, like, right. Yeah. He or, steps in and goes, no, I don't think or so. The, right. the one where uh, it's like you know, uh, I can't remember what uh, Jason says, and then your your narration is. Yeah, that one gets better every time he tells yeah, it. Yeah, every time he tells it. You know, that kind of stuff. I, but I, I like the one. There's one where Apex doesn't know. I don't, Oh, it's uh, that Mike's character was a member of the Black Lodge, which is mm, in Shadowrun yeah. is like the the Illuminati of, of wizards. That's a production of a yeah. story as opposed to sitting down and playing a game of it. And that's the luxury of being able to sit after the fact and take pieces of the actual gameplay and arrange it however I want. Like, if we're talking like that, like, okay, people love stories like that, though. Tarantino movies wouldn't be nearly as popular as they were if people didn't love the aha moment of, oh, I saw that earlier. Now mm. I, this happened. Like, right. that's why I, right. why I was like, wait. Or just, you know, talk, you're talking about like, uh, like Pulp Fiction where you're, yeah. it's like, well, or what, what, what happened? Or... Yeah. What happened first? Cause you, you see Vinny get blown the fuck away. Blown away. And then the next thing you know, he's walking in and he's yeah. wearing a banana slugs t-shirt. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, so, you know, what, what the hell's going on here? And I remember when that movie first came out, everybody was like, I, Confused. I don't fucking yeah. get it. I don't fucking get it. Well, if they would have saw Reservoir Dogs, they'd understand that's the style. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so my question is more of like, why? Why would someone to like I said, when this new topic came in and it was like, this is what we're talking about. I'm like, well, I've never done that because I've never felt a desire to do that. Uh, you know, Chad, you've done it. Eric, you've done something similar with Dragon Variation. I don't know. I haven't played it in anyone else's games. Um, but why was that your first instinct? Because to me, it seems like a hell of a lot of work hinged on a hell of a lot of hope. That is exactly why I did it. <laughs> I mean, to, to be honest with you, when I run games, 
I like to take chances. I, I like to do experimental stuff. I like to do off the wall stuff. I like to try things that may or may not work. I've had a lot of failures as a game master in in trying some of this stuff. And, and other times, I, I've had stuff that works out really you know, well. I'll make it even simpler than that. A role-playing game being a group production or a group effort, everyone has something in particular that they want to bring to the table. When I am game mastering, I want to bring the best possible story that I can for the players. And let me stress, players, not player characters. All right, I am trying to entertain them with a form of storytelling. And one of the best parts of storytelling is to have that payoff of things that made total sense, but they didn't quite get it or didn't quite see it coming until that payoff occurs. And so, yeah, it's a hell of a gamble, but it's also a hell of a reward. Yeah, high risk everyone. I mean, one of the things Mm -hmm. that, and I don't totally hate the dungeon crawl style of D&D, but one of the biggest problems I have with it or weaknesses I see in it is it is so horribly predictable. We're going to walk into a room, there's going to be a handful of level-appropriate monsters, certain puzzles, certain traps, and the GM is going to try to get creative within that context, within that narrow band, and make that room interesting, and then we're going to move on to the next room and do the same thing again. But you are always still operating within more or less the same boundaries of this formula. I mean, there's a reason why movies like Memento are so memorable. Because they went out and did something that otherwise people don't do. And it worked. Admittedly, it could very well not have worked. Vantage point. (laughs) I mean, there's a whole bunch of... I like it, but it (laughs) flopped. (laughs) But there's a whole bunch of movies, video games, books, whatever I could give you that didn't work. But when it does work, I mean, it's you're able to tell a story that I think brings so much more investment because the players have to pay more attention. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they need to know a lot more than the two hit number on the org. <laughs> they, they, you know, they have to keep this broader sense of what's going on. We're doing it to in a different way with our current Skies of Glass game where we're not telling the game per se out of sequence in that there is nothing future oriented. But you guys are playing a future that has an ill-defined past. And you know there are certain things going on. You know there are established powers. There are established truths to the world. There are things that are moving whose motivations aren't entirely clear. And all this ties back to a past that is 50 to 75 years old and lost to the majority of society. And what you guys are discovering as you play the game is not what's going on. But why it's going on, how society got here, how these different factions became interested in the goals that they have. And so there's this process of discovery that I hope is keeping you guys invested in a way you wouldn't be if all the plot was in the here and now, if all the plot was spoon fed. Wissywig, what you see is what you get. You know, it's exactly what you think it is. That you guys, in fact, may even be making some choices you'll regret because you don't know. Oh, I regret almost every choice. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't tell you how many times we've ended game and you've been like I can't believe you guys didn't see that, and none of us know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> right. And it's like, wait, what? Hold on, what was there? Uh, Shit. 
don't say that because then they were like, oh, fuck, we, we screwed ourselves. Like we're dead. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to hear Joy's perspective because we've been bulldozing her for about 30 minutes. So the game that I played like that sort of thing, we've got three different timelines and it was run in that same way where it was sort of experimental to see if we could do it. What system, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, it's it's in Big Eyes, Small Mouth, uh, but it's a homebrew so that we play it with tarot cards instead of dice. Okay. And wow. then the meaning of the card can sometimes come into play. Each of the seven characters has their own card in the minor arcana. Um, oh, that's cool. Do you have yeah. an extra seat? Well, <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> it's, it's been going on since we started the game in 2011. Oh, wow. That's how long that it's Gracious. taken to get through. Yeah, Gage, have a seat. <laughs> yeah, we're in the final arc right now. <laughs> and we're towards the end of the final arc. So we had seven players in the first arc. And we got some weird stuff from, like, another possibility. Uh, there's some characters that cross over and appear in all three. Uh, the second arc... I wasn't a player in it for the most part, but I got to sit in on the calls and I was me and one of the other girls, my housemate that played in the first campaign would get on the calls and mute ourselves and just watch it happen. And we were like, Oh my God, they're going to destroy the world. (laughs) The first story arc, we failed to complete our goal. Uh, We had to wipe the whole timeline and reset it. The second arc, they came like, really close to failing, like painfully close to failing. Um, my character and my housemate's character both got pulled into it at some point. And he asked, the GM asked, do you guys want a guest? And we were like, yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we ended up writing out the last few episodes of the second story arc. And then the third story arc, he took all of the players from the first game that could still make it, all the players from the second game, and did a giant mashup. So every time that that we start a new arc, the GM always has some new twist on it so that even the people who have played before, which in the third arc, I think we only had two players that hadn't been there before, so that everyone is kept on their toes. No one really knows what the what the end goal is, who's the big bad this time, because uh, it's changed out. Some of the some of the NPCs have appeared in all three arcs. Some of them have what they call the probability web, where they can see events that have happened in other timelines, or they have experienced other timelines, and they're like caught in this loop. And it's kind of up to the PCs to figure out who, why, and how to stop it. We also have had that like unreliable narrator thing. We had our Templar had gotten corrupted by basically the source of all the world's evil. So she's pretty much evil now but doesn't realize it she's still striving to be good but her perception of everything is inverted there was a scene where it was her uh one of the other characters who's tied to hers an npc that was her like basically her squire and someone else's character's brother was in the scene as well and another of the pcs is like well i'm gonna sit outside and watch what's happening and so the, the GM will narrate the scene and go through the scene with her. And the other PC has a script from the GM that we don't know at the time. He's reading off a script. Like the GM is narrating all of the stuff that's happening to the Templar, who has a completely different perception of what's going on. She sees the, the brother character kills her squire. And then they cut back to the character who's observing from the outside 
and just is watching this Templar go ballistic and kill her own squire. There's kind of a lot of that going on too, where we don't know what's going on until after the scene is over. Um, so I've, I've got two questions about this. First of all, you said there's three basic campaign arcs, and I, I'm just for simplicity's sake going to call them A, B, and C. What is the, if we were to lay out a chronology, what is the chronology? Are A and B simultaneous and then C takes place after? They are on three separate uh, timelines. The setting that we're using, alternate timelines are a canon aspect of it. Okay, so it's like a multiverse sort of yes. thing. Or Okay, okay. So that's Yeah, so they're, they're all relatively happening simultaneously. And there are characters who are just experiencing it, I guess, in multiple iterations. And I don't know how they experience it, because that's kind of weird. Same <laughs> set of events, and it's just happening in a different kind of way, each, each occurrence. Okay. And, and that actually raises some other interesting possibilities, because, for example, I, I guess you get like the minority report kind of thing. Because if I know, for example, from a separate reality, that Eric either is this kind of person secretly. He is. <laughs> or is totally about to commit this kind of murder. How do I react to that in the present, even though it has it's not relevant to our timeline? Right. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot. We have a great deal of meta knowledge of a lot of the NPCs and their motivations. And we just keep that stuff in meta where we'll end a session and be like, oh, man, Dawes is totally going to betray us. We don't ex we don't suspect a thing. That's an that's an interesting thing because like in in my game in, in my nonlinear game that I ran I didn't give up any knowledge except the butt <laughs> no <laughs> uh, I didn't give up any of the knowledge because my players really wanted the mystery of it they yeah. they didn't want to know uh, in fact I think it would have even helped things along if they had a bit more meta knowledge to act on but but what you're saying is that all the players have a lot of meta-knowledge. Well, I mean, going back to the movie Minority Report, that movie doesn't work. I mean, it's a plot point that people know. Mm. I mean, if you don't know, the movie Minority Report doesn't work. Uh, my, my second question is, so you said this has been going on since 2011, so eight years now? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's okay. a monthly theme, and we have, in the in the third story arc, we have 14 we have 13 players in Goodness. the okay. Holy cow. <laughs> Good God. Okay. Yeah, it's Ow. hundreds so, of NPCs. Like, it's everywhere. And so, migraine times migraine. Oh, my God. <laughs> How is your poor GM... <laughs> Do you have like four GMs? Yeah, I, I mean, how do they keep this straight? No, they're He's twins. Got you just don't know. Tons of documents. No, I'm the twin. Uh, <laughs> I mean, never mind. Unless your GM goes home every night and just does a rail of blow with a shotgun in their mouth, how do they keep straight eight years? That's a lot of wow. overlapping and paradoxical, if not contradictory, plot information. And yeah, makes sense of that. I don't Goodness know how he gracious. does it, but he has tons of documents. Uh, prior to the opening of the third arc, a lot of the PCs had sort of like divination things, either prophetic dreams or one of them is actually a diviner and has seen some stuff that draws them into this final arc. This strikes me as like a kid telling their parent, I want to grow up and be a rock star. And it's like, okay, that's great. But what's your fallback career? I mean, if somebody set out to do this, I'd be like, okay, that's cool. That that might work. What's your fallback game? 
<laughs> because this is probably just going to end in either massive failure or an aneurysm. The fact that you guys have made this work for eight years. Yeah. It's a miracle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> that's dedication. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All of us are, are like super into like seeing it through. You said you play, is it, you said every month. So it's like yeah. one game night every month. It's we'll play like on a Sunday. We'll play all day Sunday. We'll start at like noon and go until bedtime. So at least if you think of it that way, it's a little bit more. I mean, it's still eight it's, fucking yeah, years old. She's talking like 12 hours a game. I mean, that may be only True. once a month, but that's a month's worth of gaming. But if yeah. you spread that out to like how we play or anything like yeah, that, but we I do, mean, it, it, it kind of evens out, but it's still a lot. It's a, it's a long time to... Yeah, I mean, that's... With yeah. that many people, too. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it's I mean it sounds like the, the Game Master takes basically as a story Bible, you know, where they have what is going on, what the story is, all that stuff written down yeah. and Man, if you told me you're bringing in okay we're gonna run an eight-year game <laughs> with overlapping times and there's gonna be 13 14 people the very first session is i would rent like a circus lion <laughs> and be like whatever six of you are left that's the game <laughs> Well, I mean, note I, to self if Dan ever actually comes <laughs> right. about this. You know, it, it it is truly impressive. But, I mean, think about some intellectual property that you really like, that you're super like Eric yeah. Conan. Yeah. You're wearing a Conan t-shirt. There's Conan on each of the walls. I see Conan books, Conan games. You like some Conan. Right. No, he's not a big fan. No, no. Just, no. Just he actually it. hates Conan. Oh, <laughs> man. So what are you talking about? And so imagine running a Conan game. For years and years, right? You know that that is really, really tied to the lore. It's just not you doing your own thing, right? And you you just have that knowledge. I mean, you could tell me eight years worth of stories just from Conan. It sounds like her group and her game master are just really into it. And yeah. Only it's not. It's the only way it could work. It's not someone else's IP. No. It's right. their it's their IP together collaboratively. Well, even like she said, it sounds like. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It, they're making the stories. Right. I mean, they're they're the ones that are. So I mean, each person is going to be an expert on their own story. Yeah, because right? like she said, she the, everyone has a lot of meta knowledge. Oh, I'm not right. saying yeah. this is impossible because I mean, by virtue of looking at it, obviously it's not. Oh no, if she wasn't I'm just here right now this... telling me it was possible, I would say no, that's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the perfect storm. This is a hurricane and a rogue wave and a handful of UFOs push you where you want to go. <laughs> this will yeah. never happen again. I mean, yeah, this, this nobody's don't repeat this. Story story because nobody's going to believe it anyway kind of thing. I mean, so obviously it works, but I don't think I would ever recommend this to anyone. I, it's, I, I love the dedication mm-hmm. and the fact that you guys love that so much. I would never want to do that game. <laughs> I feel I, I, there has to be, it has to be really hard to get like solo game time, right? Like if you're doing it all day, no, really? No, uh, because there's so many of us and most of the players uh, are paired off. They'll have like my character is paired with Sanner and Chrissy's character is paired with, you know, and, and we break up into smaller teams because the scope of the game is so big and there's so much to do where we'll be like, all right, you two go to the library and research this. We're going to go over to this location with this goal. You guys are going to go down to the river and do this thing. So what do you guys do in between those scenes, though? Like, is it like so you have downtime because clearly somebody else is being focused on at the time. Are you just like 
dicking around on your phone or like oh, what's no. going no no they're they're role play i mean we've even seen it in our skies of glass yeah, game do, to yeah. a much smaller thing where could you imagine yeah. gill and poe <laughs> talking for 10 hours while somebody else does something <laughs> yes i can i'm all about yeah, this absolutely. you know what i'm sold on this idea now <laughs> get ready dan I, there's been a lot of games i've been in this happened man. christian and leo yeah well i mean the, the those two characters you're one years old in mine. I mean, mm-hmm. goodness gracious, we could RP those characters yeah. within the context of the plot that they occurred in together. I mean, for we did for hours yeah. at a time. Because we had we had really large groups. And yeah. you either sit around, and we didn't have phones to jack around on then, but yeah. you, you either sit around and do nothing and or observe interestedly in someone else's right. stuff, or you had the the game master's focus is on another team, another person, and then if you have really good, solid characters and you have a really good grasp of the world and the world is detailed and interesting and there's all the trust around the table, yeah, yeah. absolutely people can break off and start role-playing their own thing. Yeah, I, th- I th- One of the things that yeah. I do like that you guys do on Skies of Glass is like uh, there have been a couple of times where like – Dan's gone to the bathroom and you guys still just role play. Oh yeah, it doesn't yep. stop. Yeah, yeah, take it, the dog out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't stop. No, it doesn't stop. <laughs> when the game master leaves the table. Yeah. If yeah. if we have a break in something cuz somebody had to do something or go and it, it, no one stops, everybody's still yeah. on. I, have you ever run a game before where everybody is so into it and you have this scene and then you do this big cliffhanger and scene and we're done. What do you guys think? And everybody is still role playing with each other? No. Yeah. It's just like no, stop. Stop! <laughs> no, the tension, dude. Yeah. Guys, <laughs> it, it's. I mean, it's it's a fully participative form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. How many times you watched a movie and where the movie ends, you're like, no, the movie should not have ended there. Yeah, should have kept. And going. now you get a vote. Mm-hmm. And you're like, screw that. This movie is still going on. That's yeah. why fan fiction exists. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. That's not so the these games why. are fan fiction. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> this is a bit random and off. Well, pseudo on topic, pseudo off topic. So, how did the tarot cards figure into that? Did you use that as like a fate predictive structure to create the, unity in these timelines? The game is. Uh, is called Fate Minor Arcana. Okay. That's the, the title of the first arc. Okay. Um, uh, it's basically a mage war that's occurring in St. Louis in 2012. Oh, that's uh, your St. Louis game. Yeah, that's my St. Louis game. Um, they're, when, so, they, when they finish the game, they're all planning a trip to yeah. St. Louis. Okay. To tour the locations so, so are, of the so game. So are you local? Oh, no. 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 So be no. careful when you okay. do that. <laughs> I, yeah. we, we, I have personally talked to Joy about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you would like some guides, we have plenty of people here that can do that. Yes, yeah, stay out of North City, but, but, but continue your story. Yeah. That's why I um, work. So uh, how it's traditionally done, because it, it is based on an anime, which is why we're playing Big Eyes, Small Mouth. Um, it's based on the uh, Fate Stay Night anime. And a lot of the things that we're doing with this game that the GM has just come up with since we started playing have become canon in in the continuity of the anime series, which oh, is that's wild. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, like he just so, guessed right. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. That's really well. Cool. Or the tarot cards worked. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> so so the the first arc is called Fate Stay Night, and everything is based around the tarot deck. There are four teams of. Seven masters, seven servants, which is the the teams that are paired off. Um, each mage will summon a servant from seven different classes, and they're supposed to battle each other. And to make it so we're not just killing each other, 
uh, he has instituted that there are four different teams to go with each of the suits of the tarot cards. The second story arc, he did kind of the same thing, but in a different way. And then the third story arc is uh, where the one of the end goals is for each character to find what their their major arcana card is. And it's we've already screwed that up because one of the one of them died. <laughs> oh, wow. One of them died very early on. So hey, um, at least people are dying in this game. Yeah, but like rolling a nat twenty in the game, if you draw your character's card, you can basically the GM will give you the option. You can either succeed beyond your wildest dreams at this one thing. You can bank it for later when you might need it, or you can do something interesting with it instead. Um, and a lot of times it's more fun to do the interesting things, so, but sometimes you just want to bank it. Okay, yeah. so it's, it's Cinco de Mayo as we record this. I don't know if it's going to be released, but I'm sitting here drinking tequila. <laughs> <laughs> and I want you to know in my tequila-addled mind, all I pictured this game as being is a mashup of Persona 5 and Queen's Blade. Oh my God! <laughs> so, Jesus Christ! <laughs> so that that for me now is the canon of what you guys have been playing. <laughs> oh my God! And it's, it, it Damn, is outstanding. That's, no. <laughs> no, Dan, that's not even. Close. No one else here knows what Queen's Blade is, do they? No. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> but if it's anime, I know exactly like four animes. Mm, it, I mean, it's it's so, all, it's almost hentai. <laughs> like, no, it's, okay. So my knowledge of anime I'm is listening. basically one is basically One Punch Man and Eki. <laughs> and Queen's Blade is in the Aunt Eki category. So wow, <laughs> I'm just blown away by the, the, how you made that connection somehow. <laughs> I'll show everybody some Queen's Blade before we leave, and then you're going to cool. say the same thing I did. Dan, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to Persona Five Royale, though. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm going to play the f out of that. Yeah, I'm really pumped about that. But no, I mean, okay, going back to your game, Joy. I'm sorry for hijacking that. Uh, but no, I mean, that's that sounds really cool. And we've had a guy on our podcast who's terrified of anything occultic. So we need to have you on to do a tarot reading on him. <laughs> yeah. just, just unbeknownst just, to him, it's just are like you talking you know, about Brodo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still say we somehow do that whole. Uh, stain his floor as a Ouija board. As a Ouija board, yes. Every time he walks across yeah. it, he's playing the message. Give him a Roomba. <laughs> One of the things that uh, I think happens a lot with a non-linear story, uh, especially with a game, is is the flashback. And and one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this is I'm actually use, using that in Resting Glitch Face at this point. What? And I don't know nothing about that. The thing, the thing about that was... And it's funny because it's like, okay, this is, this is what we've established. Let's do a flashback when they were kids, kind of like what you mm -hmm. were talking about, Chad. And playing a game like Anarchy, it's kind of easy to do, but then again, it's still Shadowrun. So it's like, all right, they're supposed to be nine and 10 year old kids. So obviously they're not <laughs> fat jobs. They're not, you know, they're not full on deckers, this kind of thing. What? Right. Come on. So it was convenient that our matrix support is a technomancer, so she already would have been it instead of a decker, because right, you know, at thirteen she might not have been a in. decker. Yeah, right. So and and that's something that I was kind of struggling with was how much do I reserve for flashback? You mm -hmm. know, how much canon do I put into this flashback? And then moving forward, like for instance, they meet a character. Uh, in the modern times that they turn, it turns out they actually had met when they were younger. They just forgot. 
And because it was like a one day thing when you're nine, I mean, mm-hmm. how often right. do you remember something mm-hmm. like that? And so then the, the question is, well, why did we forget? How could we forget this one person? It's like, well, you were nine, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's something that, that, you know, probably didn't stay with you. You'd overlook it. Right. It wouldn't right. be something that would stick with you unless it was a significant moment. Right. And then the other part of it that was tough was, you know, we planned this, uh, flashback, uh, session and then, you know, one of the players was sick and couldn't play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like, okay, there's references in the modern times where this player is going, this person was with us back yeah. then. And now it's, well, this person's not, the player who said that isn't even there. So that makes it really like difficult to try mm-hmm. and maintain a continuity. Doing stuff like that. And, and for a production, it's completely different because you're, you know, you, you're putting stuff out there. You could just hand wave it. If, right. it's, if you're at the table. Yeah. So well, plus it's planned out. It's, it's more controlled. Right. All of these things that we're talking about where people have done flashbacks, they're so open. Anybody could have changed anything. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a lot safer, I think, as a production because you know, you know what the end is. You know, kind of like where you have to hit to get there. Right. But to run a game like for fun and doing things like that, one of the things that I, I was struggled with and, uh, Chad, I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you about it is, how did they do task resolution if, you know, if you're playing first level characters right. starting out of the gate and then you do a, a flashback from when they were kids, how did they do task resolution? Well, we didn't have any rules for the flashback. I mean, we were playing D&D 5th edition, right? And so they had fully statted out characters. So they were, we were OP playing. as kids. <laughs> we were, yeah. We were playing full characters, full rules, full all of that when they were adults. Now, as kids, they didn't, we didn't have sheets. We didn't have anything like that. It was just an exercise. The cool thing about playing with mature characters who are invested in the story is that they realize something very important. The story is in the failure. Right. If you succeed, 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 succeed all the time, that's really boring. Yeah. And, you know, when you're an adult or when they were adults, it's this hero's journey. It's like it's failures and overcoming stuff and blah, blah, blah. And the fun of the kid's story is falling on your face or getting one over on the adult sort of thing. So success was, was your plan interesting, funny, or cool? Then <laughs> it's going to succeed. Is it lame and dumb because you're a kid? Well, it's going to end up how a lame, dumb kid plan works. And I just decided it, 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 there's a lot of trust involved. Most of the time, they would just sabotage each other because it was funny. Well, they're right. kids. And they're kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like they, there was a guard. And so they sent one of the kids to seduce the guard. Because oh they were like god. 13. Oh, right? my God. <laughs> and so they're like, this is a horrible idea. But it's kids, right? They're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to get that guard, blah, blah, blah. And it's like I would just <laughs> oh play the guard god. up. It's just like, do your parents know where you're at? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. If this was Broder's game, he'd have been like, yeah, let me walk you to my van. <laughs> right. You want some candy? Man, I never give her any candy. <laughs> and then I would do, if they were succeeding too much as in the kid parts, I would throw in stuff to sabotage them. They had one of the characters was trying to sneak past uh, some guards or whatever, and they wanted her to smell like something. Like I, I don't, I don't remember what the context was. But Ass. Well, you know, I think it was like, okay, you know, she's clean and she smells nice because she's a noble, and she has to go through the horse stalls. 
And so it's like, what smells like perfume sort of thing? And no. so... So you gave her, like, your diarrhea eggnog thing? Or... No. <laughs> <laughs> they, like, made her smell like bacon. What the fuck? Because, well, what? Because... Because nothing says horse stables quite like pork. Right. What is well, that perfume? They must have bathed in pig fat. No. Well, that's the thing, is that he was trying to make her not smell nice or something like that. And fuck? he messed it up because he's a kid and he's just, he's just learning these things things and every spell our caster cast as a kid just bombed so all you have is a really confused rabbi well what happened what happened was all these cats started following her i mean she's doing stuff equivalent to you know stealing pies off the windowsill but she's got like 20 cats following her (laughs) and then from there she like had she came out of it at the end and she has this one cat that loves her and so Throughout the entire rest of the game, it kept around. Well, whatever happened to that cat? You know, it's like, oh, well, you got a cat waiting for you back home, and that sort of thing. <laughs> doing things in a non-linear fashion, or doing flashbacks and things like that, uh, it reminds me. You talked about mm-hmm. Conan. The way the Conan stories were released uh, by Howard originally, it, the way he said it was. When you sit down and you talk to an old soldier or you talk to an old adventurer or something like that, they're not going to tell you a linear story. Yeah. They're going to tell you something about it when all they started were... in boot camp. Right. No, exactly. There's... It's like, oh, it like, like what you were saying, yeah. with Dan, Dan, with the there's a theme, you know, yeah, it's sure. like, and so this is, you know, I'm going to tell you this story because this is the theme that we're mm-hmm. talking about. Next time you sit down with them, they're going to tell you about, oh, well, when I was a kid, yeah. I did this. Yeah, it's it's I mean, I still do it today and I, I'm not a veteran. But, I mean, I still do it of telling topical stories. If you were to ask me about any recent life event, I will tell you about that event plus the things that I feel were significant to that event. And I'm probably skipping over tons of major events that fell in between because they're simply not relevant to explaining that event. Right. Well, that's just how we tell stories, period. If I'm telling you something that happened to me in college, I'm probably leaving something out. And some people may even be like, well, hold on. I forgot this. But no one ever goes, well, I graduated high school. I went to, Mm -hmm. I picked up this school. Well, my parents hooked up in 1971. Yeah. Right. No one tells stories. It it is out of sequence. All stories are are And, And to put it into a role-playing game's perspective, there is a game that does this. And it, it you do this on your downtime. No, no. Gage? Mm-hmm. Savage Worlds? Savage Worlds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what? Ew. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. <laughs> Outside of constantly being shaken, where, where does this fit in? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, <laughs> let's really quick talk about nonlinear storytelling. So that condition is four and a half years old. <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, yeah. they, they finally last, improved no, the game. Last, last they released around a, like a year after the game came out, I think, that fixed the it's, shaken rules. It might yeah, have the last I heard shake was still in there. It was just easier to yeah. get out of. But yes. it was yeah, still shake can still exist, but it's, it is not the old shaken lock. They did just introduce stun, which is more similar, but it's harder to earn. Oh, okay. See, they couldn't stay away. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So we've they're gone... like that scintillating gameplay of doing nothing. Uh, yeah. Man. So we've gone to tr- we've gone to treatable diarrhea. But <laughs> I, I will run it for you at some point. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> is that a threat? Will, Are you threatening me? I will make you fall in love with that system. What's the title of that <laughs> story? Hopefully, it has shaken. Uh, <laughs> shaken R- not stirred. RPG Stockholm syndrome. Right. <laughs> I will come for you. Shake, uh, no, shake yeah, and not playing. <laughs> so, are, but, 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 where does non-linear? Where does non-linear? So, um, there's the interlude mechanic, which is basically built around uh, downtime, campfires, anything like that. 
uh, you draw a card and each one of the suits is a topic. It's a victory, a tragedy, someone you love, someone you lost, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, and in different settings, sometimes people go even further. Like uh, there's a great, uh, there's wise guys, uh, which is a mobster setting. It'll be like, hey, yo, you got a spade. What's the first time you got pinched and stuff like that? Well, okay, now that's downtime, but and I can think of a couple games that handle downtime pretty right. explicitly. Blades in the Dark being an example. One of the more recent Lord of the Rings ones being an example. But that's still in the sequence of the chronology. It's we camp and there and now if it's Blades in the Dark, you go after your vice. If it's But they tell in, no, they're in telling this one a that's story sort of from the past. From the past. Okay. That that expands yeah. on what is going on. So, in the so okay, so I talk about why Ten years ago, something happened that mm-hmm. has me afraid of rust monsters to right. this day. Or it right. sounds right. like it's it sounds like it's an opportunity for you to RP some background for your character. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, that's exactly what it is. Game is just good RP. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an explicit <laughs> it, mechanic it with shaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that they did with this new edition—that's one of the changes that I'm actually very happy with—is you know the Benny. Bennies are the economy in the game. Yeah. You can now spend a Benny. To have a minor story impact. And so one of the biggest examples is just like, oh, shit, I left my backpack back. Can we say I brought my backpack? And the GM can say, sure, you have the backpack. That's the simplest version of this. But when you talk about nonlinear storytelling, this is probably the only one that I would try because I only run Savage Worlds, let's be honest. Um, (laughs) Someone was talking about having run this game. And ever since then, I've been obsessed with it, is that you are doing a heist game and you start. Game one of the heist, everyone has their characters, everyone's been introduced, you know what the target is, you know what the building is, and you start game one, you're on the heist. Mm -hmm. And every time you hit a snag or you get caught or something like that, someone can spend a Benny and you go back in time to before the heist and like Ocean's Eleven style, you say, actually... This is why this was part of our plan. And you play that scenario where you set up for the time you got screwed that up. That kind of reminds so, me of the Inspectors. Yeah, I was going to say, in, Inspectors does, has been doing that for a while, too. That's pretty cool. Actually, yeah. I like yeah. it. The confessional where yeah. you say, well, it was about this time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of kick in with that tree fitty sort of thing. Well, <laughs> it was about this time that I noticed that this Girl Scout was an eight and a half foot tall crustacean from the Paleolithic era. And, <laughs> and, and, but I mean, no, seriously, it has that kind of mechanic yeah. where you just cut the story and just say, well, that may have sounded like a failure, but the truth is that right. we knew this and this was this and so-and-so fumbled at that, and that's when I pulled this off. And you have to, the game master, the other players have to take that as canon. And it could be in sequence. It could be out of sequence. It could be in sequence, but contexted out of sequence. Mm. There, there's all kinds of ways to do it. And <laughs> this is something that I saw wonderfully done at, at a convention game one year where, mm. I mean, once people got what the uh, confessional mechanic was – they just did a great job with it. Yeah. So I, people just cut in and go, well, actually, it didn't. I mean, so so it's like <laughs> if you've ever seen The Office, you know how The Office, when it started, it used yeah. to be a fake reality show. And they have like the confessional. And they have the, the confessional thing. That's what it does. I've run inspectors games before where I'm like, yeah, because there's like a limited amount of confessionals you can use and stuff. I'm like, yeah, we can do confessionals and stuff. But the confessional, I'm taking out my phone. I'm filming this and I'm putting it on YouTube. <laughs> and I have like three or four confessionals up on YouTube right now. Oh my God. <laughs> that's mean. And that's uh, that's an... <laughs> what if it's a bad hair day? <laughs> uh, then you're 
rock star famous on YouTube. <laughs> I guess. But that's an uh, that's an interesting way of doing it. Is to mm-hmm. yeah, it's nonlinear. It's it, you hit this certain snag or you hit this certain plot area, and then you just go back and go. This is this is how we prep to resolve that. I really like that idea. Mm-hmm. I, that could be implemented into a lot of games, really. Yeah. Well, especially yeah, anything where you have a mechanic or some sort of a resource that affects the story. Yeah. You know, um, some, there's, uh, we did the, um, they came from beneath the sea mm-hmm. and they have, they have a mechanics, you know, a mechanic kind of like that where lost you can. Lost real or something. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, uh, lost scene. Lost Where scene, you yeah. just, you're playing. You skip. Yeah. It, it's, it's supposed to be a 50s, the bi- awesome. 50s yeah. B movie. Yeah. And you have these mechanics where if you roll up enough or you get enough of these resources, you can spend it and you can get these funky things like, uh, poor set design where, you know, you throw somebody and they go through the wall instead of, or, you know, and <laughs> things like that. Or, uh, one of them is the lost reel. Yeah. And Brandon used it in the, in the game where it's like, okay, let's just stop this scene right here and put up the placard that says, Lost real. Yeah. We apologize. Yeah. And then it just moves on to the next thing. And nice. it, he was getting his ass whipped. And the next <laughs> whoa, thing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, no. He was getting his ass whipped. No, and I then wasn't. the next thing you know, he's. Uh, he's I just listened to it yesterday. You were getting your ass whipped. No, 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 no. <laughs> so we were in, uh, to give you context, uh, I was. Yes, give us context of your ass whooping. I was, uh, I was basically a G man. Um, well, I was military. You, was, you were, yeah. I was G-Man. Yeah. And uh, who else was in there with me? Was Dorothy. It, well, the, was it there Dorothy? Was, there was the ass whooper. Yeah. You're the ass whoopee. No. <laughs> so, like, people, um, it was just us two inside this diner. And then there and, were six people. And then there were six ass. people basically not super <laughs> powered, but not really giving <laughs> a shit about anything happening to themselves. So they're just, like, coming at us. And, um, but I did some cool stuff in that because I even had my. Uh, you got your ass whipped by a ladle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's, ex- that's exactly where the scene cuts off. You well, you get hit with a ladle, and then I think you ha- have another roll later, uh, like right after that, and you're like, "I'm gonna do missing real," and so all the damage you had taken <laughs> so was undone. I thought it, no, I thought it was a setup because I got to say my uh, one of my catchphrases. Yeah, I messed one dude up, and then there were like maybe three or four of them or me or something the, like that. The cool thing, that. the cool thing about that mechanic is the, the sort of storytelling concept of uh show don't tell. So, you know, yeah, all these guys pile on the G man and then, you know, this ladle comes up and it's going to be the killing blow with this soupy ladle. Yeah. And it's just like, Oh crap. Yep. Cut scene. Yep. And then, well, that's not a show, don't tell. That's the inverse. That's the old show. Well, if you would wait a minute, Tequila Man. Okay, okay, all right. When it comes back to the scene, then he's standing there on top of the counter. There's a pile of bodies, and yep. he's holding a frying pan, and then there's the girl at his side. And it's like, but you put in all these things where, how did that happen? But there's there's these sort of context of maybe he jumped into the kitchen and he grabbed a frying pan. And, so yeah. that's actually kind of how it played out because right. afterwards it was like, oh, they're all beat up and I have an egg sandwich now. Right. And, right. Um, <laughs> at first, and we skipped quite a bit because I know that we were like trying to get to a certain point. So we actually like skipped a little further. Yeah. So really like a lot of stuff that would have happened in role play. Like, like you we have were a just ladle act- shaped bruise no. on your forehead <laughs> and we you're were just eating acting, a sandwich as you're walking down the We street. were actually just <laughs> acting like all that stuff actually already happened. So, like, I thought Woodside's character, the guy that we play with, was a complete stoner asshole. Mm -hmm. Or, like, who he was, no, he was an actor or something, Yeah, yeah, he was, yeah, he was an actor. I I couldn't stand, my character couldn't stand him. And then by that time, I was like, you're all right, man. Like, we were like, (laughs) but you have no idea how we got to that point. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We just were. 
But Can it, I just say my favorite thing about this story is that Eric started off by saying Brandon's character was getting his ass whooped, and Brandon quickly went, Mom, don't embarrass me in front of my friend. <laughs> <laughs> For non-linear storytelling, it, whenever this topic comes up, I always have to bring up this really amazing movie that most people have not seen. It's, it's a foreign movie. It's in Portuguese. I think it's a Brazilian movie. And it, there's, uh, I believe, three of them. They're called Elite Squad. Now, it has a stupid kind of hard-ass names. The movies are amazing. And it is so in Brazil, you have a huge drug and gang problem, right? You have an incredibly corrupt police force, and you have a military that's kind of totally not involved. But you have And you have Carnival. And you have Carnival. And so there's this there's this sort of not military, but not police kind of both entity called BOLP. And it's like, it, it, well, it's it's an acronym that's in Portuguese. And I don't know what the acronym is. And I don't speak Portuguese, but it's basically <laughs> like, you know, special paramilitary police or whatever. And <laughs> the movie, though, is called Elite Squad. Well, the and it is it follows that force fighting crime and all the extreme bad things that they do and why maybe it's not necessarily bad that they're doing it, but it is really horrible what they're doing and that sort of thing. How they tell the story is it opens with the end. The last part of the movie, the last scene of the movie is the opening movie. And it's like the main character getting shot to death or something like that. Mm. Oh, and Thanks for ruining it, Jen. Yeah, exactly. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, man, so, you. but here's, right, finish your story. No, do you want some more tequila? Or yeah, no, you finish, just gonna your go on, on <laughs> finish your story, then I'm going to bitch. No way. <laughs> Shocking. So in this story, though, they, they, they do that ending part. And then the story picks up at the beginning. And but the beginning is so divorced from what you just saw. Like the characters aren't acting like they're supposed to be acting. The things that happen, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, maybe the guy who shot the one guy, wait, this is a good guy. You're telling me he turns bad. And you know, that's sort of thing. it's and you're you're like trying to connect the dots, but the dots the the writer just took the dots and threw them into the wind and they're just completely scattered and had nothing to do with anything and then the movie goes on and then the dots start to coalesce and then you get to that scene then the scene happens in a way that you don't expect it like you think you've got it figured out of why it landed there and then there's a big twist that they have and it's completely different and then that scene happens and then they kind of continue on for a little bit for the aftermath of that scene. Yeah, see, and I don't like that, and here's why. Well, tough shit. It's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like it because it has subtitles. You got to read. Right. There is this this thing that you just described that has become – it's predictable unpredictability. Where, and there, it's become so tired of a trope where it's like you see something you don't expect, and then the subtitle, 72 hours earlier – and then, you know, you like Batman having sex with a joke and you're like, how could this happen? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'd like to know that. <laughs> yeah, it's like 12 hours earlier and you see all this nonsense that leads up to, oh, yeah, it's totally not Batman and totally not what you thought it was. And you know that's where it's going to end. And it's like, God damn it. You know, just don't waste my time. Let's just tell the story linearly at that point. I get where you're coming from because it's like every, well, 90s or 80s movie that's like, I wonder, how, I bet you wonder how I got here. And then it kind of does the back. Yeah, well, it, right. precisely. I mean, Pulp Fiction was really good. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, even if you don't like the movie, it was a well-constructed, well-acted movie oh, yeah. that that had this non-linear sort of storytelling I, to I, it. We talked about this the movie earlier, but have you ever watched it in sequence? No. Like how it's supposed to be? It's mm. terrible. Is it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's if you think about it, it's a pretty basic storyline. Yeah, it's super it's basic, very it, basic. But the way it, the way it's presented to you makes it yeah. interesting. And there are whereas Memento in sequence is actually still pretty good. Have you ever seen Memento in sequence? No. It's oh, actually, actually no, I have. Good. I have. It's on. It, they actually have it on the same movie. Yeah, you can yeah, watch yeah. It in sequence. It, yeah no, it's I actually have. pretty good. I have, yeah. yeah. And or so, just press rewind. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's some there's movies that that are good that have done it well. Sure. And then there are movies that are like no no talent directors and writers who are yeah. trying to take this trope and just crapping all over it. And then there's movies who take it even a step further. And this is what you're hating on is let's cash in on the trope. Yeah. And it's just, it's not, they're not even trying and failing. If they were trying and failing, I'd have more respect. Right. They're not. They're just trying to get that money. Yeah. I mean, you look at it, it's like. What I'm seeing, I know is not what I think I'm seeing. Right. Period. I don't even have to guess at this. You know, I'm seeing something that makes no sense because it's not what I think it is. Mm -hmm. The only question here is, what is it actually? So, with Elite Squad, it is about the journey. It, it is about that question of, I'm presenting you with this group of facts. And then we start the story, and it's like, I can't draw any of these lines in my mind. Like, this doesn't make sense. And then it takes you on this journey where it's like, oh, that makes sense how it travels there. It's just like a math equation. You know the pro you know the answer yeah. to the problem, but you have no idea how you're going to find it. I know you said math equation, but what I heard is meth equation. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Meth is math, man. But I highly recommend... Why do you think people get so turned up on it? <laughs> yeah. But I highly I recommend people watch Elite Squad. It is real. if you can handle the subtitles, it is really, really good. Hmm. I was going to say, another example of this is uh, Fallout 4. And it's a smaller thing. It's just one moment of messing with the entire time frame. Technically, it's linear. Yeah, uh, but, but but you're you dealing with think, the character. Yeah, yeah because yeah. of the use of uh, cryogenics. Yeah, time mm -hmm. travel. You, yeah. you think you're seeing the story in a different order than you are. You, mm -hmm. th you think that this is when you wake up, it's a matter of hours later, when in truth, it's a matter of decades later. And it got me the first time. I yeah. had no idea. I mean, I'll say straight up, the sequence where you go through Kellogg's memories, that was trippy. I mean, yeah. not only because it sets straight the sequence of events, but also because you started to gain a sort of sympathy for the bad guy. I mean, you kind of started to understand where he came from. He was not a monodimensional character anymore. Yeah. You know, I think that gets into, like, why you would or would not do nonlinear storytelling in a role-playing game. In an A to B to C role-playing game, you're telling a story. You're, you're telling the A to B to C story, and it, you, you get the structure and you understand it. Are you telling this nonlinear story... Where, you know, you're A to B and then D and, you know, you, you kind of whip back around because it's it's cool or gimmicky. Or are you trying to tell a different aspect or shade of the story? Are you trying to present the same information in a new and different way to enhance the emotional impact of it? Are you trying to present totally new information that the reader, the, the players, the whoever would never actually get it, mm -hmm. the the nonlinear aspects of a story if you put them into your game have to enhance the story 
you have to ask yourself, why am I doing yeah. this? What am I getting out and, of? And I'll certainly agree that part of my derision towards that 12 hours earlier mm-hmm. thing is it's gratuity. Yeah, it, it's, it's, gratu- like, it's a hack job. Yeah, yeah. Here's There's some no reason. Sh- Let me give one example of a show I'm, I've kind of stopped watching because it ran out. It's welcome on me, but Arrow. You know, you see Green Arrow doing something horrible. Like, you know he would never right. do that. And it's like 12 hours earlier. Mm-hmm. And so you know either that's not actually Green Arrow or who he's killing is not actually who you think he's killing or it's a staged set of special effects is not mm-hmm. actually a murder you know it's not going to be what you thought it was they're just doing it for the gratuity of like right. oh my gosh why would he do that and if mm-hmm. you're just some honey boo boo watching passive ass <laughs> moron i guess this this, this mm-hmm. grips you whereas for me it just annoys me yeah until the, until someone does it and subverts the trope okay which yeah is, which oh, I, my I'll, buddy arrow yeah and then you get to it you go through the whole time frame and it's like oh no that's actually arrow arrow actually just murdered that guy yeah I well kind of agree with him. apart from Zack snyder who's become kind of predictably the opposite thing that's really not going to happen and so i mean I, i'm 100 with you but it's just so so rarely done yeah, I don't like Arrow. Arrow sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it was good for a certain number of seasons. No, but... they wanted a Batman show, and they couldn't make it, and then they bastardized the character of Green Arrow. Just... Do you know that the Green Arrow fan subreddit on Reddit ended up hating the show so much that they converted their subreddit into a Marvel subreddit? <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, I mean, in the first like few episodes, they even, like when they say, oh, what about Green Arrow? Like, <laughs> what? Oh my god, that's such a stupid name. You're making this show for possible fans of Green Arrow. Right. You're fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> yeah. We could have a whole nother show on just how much I hate Arrow. I know. <laughs> or any of the WB shows. <laughs> um, one of the uh, types of nonlinear storytelling that I, I've always wanted to try as uh, a role-playing game, but I'm not quite sure how I could do it, would be something like the story Crash, the movie Crash, oh. where you have a centralized event and then you Wait, which of- Crash? Because there's the one where, like... People get off on like getting into car accidents no, with each other no, and like no. have sex no, no, with what? Like, disabled no. people. And then with there's the one that, yeah, that's real. You've never seen that movie. <laughs> I'm Isn't guessing. That, did you wait, see this on Pornhub? No, it has, <laughs> Kiefer, it has Kiefer Sutherland in it. I've I'm never guessing. seen that movie. Oh, I know which one you're huh. talking yeah. about. No, Crash, I know. Do I need to text? Beth and see if she's got this Smash? movie stuck somewhere. <laughs> Smash? Is that what it is? No. Some, something like that. It's a similar name, but I don't think that's... I was pretty sure it's Crash. <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure it's Crash. No, what I'm talking about is you have different storylines, and, and but they all intersect at one... Yeah, specific. there was a movie I saw, and I can't remember what it's called, but it was some time. It was like 411 or something. I don't remember the name of it, but it was mm-hmm. something like that, or 812, or it was some clock time, and it was about, like... At that moment in time, all these horrific things happen and all these stories converge. And then it backs up to tell you how each of these stories reached that same point in time. And it was one of the few movies I've watched where I actually had to stop and take Valium because it was so stressful. <laughs> like it was not pleasant, like psychological horror or something. It was just stressful. No, it's crash. It was just people like <laughs> screaming at each other and it was messed up. Like I did not enjoy it at all. 
So, Brandon, you're, what you're talking about is a there's an actual movie called Crash where it doesn't people, have Keith Sutherland. I mix it up because okay, I always Keith Sutherland's IMDb, and I'm it's like, what James, the fuck it's James, <laughs> it's James Spader, and I oh. always confuse them from back then because to, let's be honest, they look a lot alike from back then. No, <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> no, they look. I agree with you on similar. so many things, but not this one. <laughs> they look pretty similar back then. I think Keith Sutherland's better, but uh, no, Crash. Yeah, it's yeah. a bunch of people that get off on like getting into car wrecks and then fuck after they get into a car wrecks interesting and with like double it. double amputees and stuff like that yeah there's one there's one lady that has uh like her legs are completely ruined by some car wreck and she has like uh these braces on and he's like super into it and they go and like test drive like a porsche or something like that and just fucking crash it and bang afterwards it's the weirdest <laughs> fucking movie ever it, I, it's the weirdest fucking movie ever and i saw this thing i saw this when i was like 15 so i'm like what in the fuck is this <laughs> it was one of those movies where you watch it when you're younger you're like i should not be watching this at all. <laughs> even at 15 and I, I feel like it's seen worse but so, i saw that and was like this is not something anyone should see <laughs> the movie i'm thinking of is, is 11 14 and i got roped into seeing it by in-laws you're just mentally ill <laughs> <laughs> hey it was on independent film channel so it had to be good right yeah it was, it was great, great. Everybody should watch that. Everybody <laughs> no watch just that. literally just said no one should be yeah. watching this. Hey, 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 people have to share point. People have to share. People no have to share my experience. It. No one should be watching eleven fourteen either. I know I just mentioned it. <laughs> so don't watch either one movie. of those movies. Is the... If you want to watch people having sex in a graveyard, getting killed by a tombstone, then eleven fourteen <laughs> is a movie for you. Wow. No, I'll watch Supernatural at that point. <laughs> um, or MacGruber. Hey, MacGruber. <laughs> so. <laughs> the type of game that Eric was talking about, <laughs> where it's all these like Were different stories. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Different. That's a game I've always wanted to play, but I always thought it would be interesting to run it on different day, like different days of the week with different groups. And so like group A is doing one thing and group B is doing one thing, but they're affecting one another. And yeah. so for the GM, it'd be, you know, nonlinear, but for the oh, players, it would end up being game. linear. Huh? I played in a Star Wars game. Where the GM was running more or less the same continuity or the same plot for two groups. And there was an A group and a B group. And I was in the B group. And the plot lines were intersecting. So what each group did affected the other group. So did you know that going into it or was it something you found out later? The, it was something I found out relatively early. I didn't know it immediately, but I knew it relatively early. That what they were doing affected what we would discover and what we were doing would affect what they were discovering. And so, like, you know, if they went to a planet before we did and they killed the crime lord there, then by the time that we showed up, the crime lord would be dead and vice versa. I mean, you know, we, we both had the ability to impact each other's plot. Was was one group like rebels and the other ones Imperials? Because that would be awesome. That'd be awesome. Actually, yeah, it was more or less like that. I mean, both groups were kind of independent and in that both groups were – Kind of off on their own. They weren't really beholden to a strict command structure, but one of them was certainly more rebel oriented, while one of them was certainly more imperial oriented. I was in the imperial oriented group. Okay. Surprising no one. Good man. (laughs) And so uh, I was specifically playing a a Jedi hunter. Nice. Nice. So I, I was, my job was to hunt down and to kill rogue force users. 
It was a great, it's actually it was a really good game, but it was, it was an interesting experience because of the fact that he would tell us, I mean, you came to this planet and afterwards he would say, yeah, you only encountered this because the other group already screwed it up huh. or something to that effect. And then hmm. vice versa, we would screw up things for them. That's cool. Cause then if you know you can affect the other game, it's almost like you're trying to affect the other game. And right? then you bring it all together and have the two groups fight. Yeah. Like, mm. I, I think that'd be really cool. I would, per- oh man, I would love that game because I, <laughs> oh yeah, you love f- fucking over uh, your fellow player characters. Yeah, 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 yeah. But for good reasons. <laughs> for good reasons. I don't, I Is don't... that why you guys ass beat with a ladle? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was because I was in a fucking restaurant with way too many goddamn guys coming after me. And everybody else left. And everybody else was like, oh, we'll just stay outside. <laughs> um, uh, to be fair, you were warned not to go in the restaurant. That's true, 100%. Everybody was like, well, was like I mean, you were hungry. It was time for breakfast. I know, right? <laughs> I got to be places. Like, I don't have time for this shit. <laughs> um, I would love I would love to play a game like that because I would absolutely love to think about how could I fuck over the other team? Mm-hmm. How could I do this or who could I kill to ruin their chances of it's success like, oh, on this planet. Oh, so-and-so has a contact on here. Gank, gank, gank. Yes. Okay, now they don't. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I want to play that game. That's I want to so play that game so bad. The time that I played a game like this, the GM had one group that was online and one group that was in person. It was supposed to be like a more cooperative thing. Like the the NPC had sent both teams to do the same thing. And it ended up that one of the people from the in-person game joined the online game. So we had like our crew switch up and it was pretty cool. Man, now I'm like just envious of playing a game like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I really would love to play that in a Shadowrun world. Be somebody's the going on a Shadowrun. Fuck up Why don't you Shadowrun. run a game with that? No, I want to play that game. <laughs> That's a game I want to play. <laughs> oh yeah. Hire the hire the two Shadowrun teams to get the same objective just oh, to yeah. like double down so that way they can make sure it gets done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did run that game once, so it was an NPC PC party. It wasn't two PC parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, the closest we've come to running that sort of game was with Tower of the Ape. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, our group was split up into two groups. And so, like, half the group played board games and half the group played the game. And uh, I kind of really screwed over one of the uh, other player characters by killing the king of the land or whatever. He was a prince. He's a prince. Crown yeah. prince of the land. Yeah. And then when the groups converged, there w- there's a, a wonderful moment. Uh, I think it was... I can't remember. One of the uh, guys from Happy Jacks commented on it. It was like, that was one of the most real moments of like pure elation I've ever heard on an AP. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, you just don't know Shannon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she gets that excited. But uh, yeah, it was the moment where you go, it's Mad at I when you realize that Mad at I, one of the player characters, was actually helping you get to where you were going. Yeah, we were getting fucked up by some rocks and we needed help. <laughs> so I was really excited to see my friend Mad at I. <laughs> yep. Fast forward to now and it's just uh, throw stressful stuff and Shannon like freaks out and goes in the other room and oh you know, my god <laughs> no yeah and then she comes home and is vincent all at me yeah. <laughs> any other non-linear stuff you want to throw in before we wrap on this one what's the topic eric uh, non- <laughs> non-linear storytelling so we'll start over from the beginning <laughs> obviously we need a review that's right yeah okay so gaming with gauge season four is about to come back any uh any day now if i remembered the actual date like a professional i would say it now but I- <laughs> um, and uh savage guide to dinosaurs uh oh yes a- yeah a little 14 page book to uh 
throw dinosaurs into your Savage Worlds game, that's on drive through. Um, and I think on uh, Savage Adventures on Twitch, you can see I ran the one sheet that comes with the dinosaur stats uh, on their channel. Nice. I want to play a dinosaur game. <laughs> I'll run it for you. Okay, in, yeah. In Savage <laughs> Worlds. <laughs> no, oh, two that's different, right. Yeah, two different, yeah, it's, it's two, I'm, I'm so busy. Yeah, it's two, two different no. uh, uh, dino groups, and you're trying to get the same objective. You know, I have a lot of games going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> Joy? I think we lost her. Again. Did we lose her again? Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, we, oh at Damn. the last moment. Yeah, you could always get her. Yeah, I'll, I'll have her. She sent it at the top of the. She did, and I'll, I'll just have her send it to me again. Mm-hmm. So, and then uh, obviously uh, we got Dan and Chad here from Fear the Boot. So please, uh, you probably already listened to Fear the Boot. I mean, I don't. No, I don't. I've never been on it, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> have. So the main podcast is at www.feartheboot.com, spelled just like it sounds, Fear the Boot. And the actual play that we're doing that includes Eric and Babs here is <laughs> AP for actual play, ap.feartheboot.com. No W's, just ap.feartheboot.com. You can also find Chris Hussey's AP there. Yes. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we'll wrap it up there, and we'll talk to you guys next time.